one. And we are recording with the one, the only, Mr. Charlie Duke, 10th man to walk on the moon, youngest man to walk on the moon. <laughs> Hands down, my favorite guest. I, I don't give superlatives to guests because I have so many and I have to be a diplomat. But I completely shirked that rule. Whenever I talk about my podcast to anyone, any email I send, I was in the elevator with a guy yesterday. I always start with, you know, well, I have in, I have interviewed Charlie Duke and uh, that is my ace card. I use it at everything. I name drop it till people are sick of it. I have become a Charlie Duke evangelist and um, which is why you are on here for episode 1000. And um, well, I always ask everyone to introduce themselves. And although I believe everyone knows who you are. Mr. Duke, please introduce yourself to all the new listeners. Uh, Tommy, good to be with you again. Uh, I'm Charlie Duke, uh, Apollo 16 uh, astronaut, uh, was selected in 1966 uh, for the Apollo program. Uh, of the nine missions to the moon, uh, I worked on five of them. I was support crew for Apollo 10, Apollo 11, and uh, Capcom for both of those also. And then back up on Apollo 13, flew on Apollo 16, and back up on 17. So uh, had a lot of experience in Apollo. Yeah. And you are the voice saying you got a lot of guys turning blue down here. <clears throat> and uh, that is, it's just so cool. And uh, as I will try to stop fanboying and be a, a, a better host now. <clears throat> so the one thing I have, I've brought up about you more than anything is is the effect you have had on me and that is very rare for me to to have you know I've, I've met a lot of interesting people who give you new twists and turns on how you view life but I remember asking you because when I got into medical school, I had worked four years towards it. And actually reading your book, I actually spent two years in Valdosta, Georgia, but I graduated from the University of Georgia, and um, <laughs> which was which is cool listening to. <clears throat> but I've, I've talked about this before. The day I took the MCAT and I and I aced it and I knew I was getting in, I came back to my apartment and it was empty. All my friends had graduated and it was the biggest letdown ever. And that stuck with me and I never wanted to feel that again. And right when I started this podcast, it had early success and continuing success and it's gotten bigger. It's made money. It's I've gotten cooler and cooler guests. But from the get go, I recognized the pattern that I was putting all of my time into this. I was kind of letting the rest of my life go by the wayside for some future goal. And I noticed it early on. And I remember asking you about that. I said, I, I'm scared that I'm going to get everything I want and it won't be enough. But what else is there to do? And before before we had first talked, you've been on here three times before. The first episode was 216. I remember a quote of yours from an interview that I, I had watched, and it was the only thing better than walking on the moon is walking with Christ. And that really stuck with me. And to hear you say that it's one thing to to find someone that that just says that you know off the cuff but i that really resonated with me because you truly had 
I mean, above being like a pilot as a fighter pilot, above that is being a test pilot, above that is going to space, above that is going to the moon. And you did that. I mean, you covered up the moon with your hand or your finger and you covered up four billion people. And I remember you told me we talked for the first episode. And I also remember you told me off air after we had finished recording. You had told me to simply ask God to come into my heart. And as someone that was raised conservative Catholic and went to Catholic school for 12 years, naturally, I rejected everything I was growing up with, kicked it all to the wayside. I lost a brother to suicide in 2014. And I went deep, deep down the depths of atheism. And I think had anyone else told me that, I would have smiled politely and said, okay. But it really stuck with me that you said that. And I think how you said it to me was treat it like a science variable. It's You have your control, and then you have your new variable. And as I meditate every day, why don't I introduce a new variable? So I did. I, I put aside, I didn't roll my eyes. I told myself I'm going to try it try to genuinely and earnestly ask God to come into my heart. I have been utterly blown away. And I think as Dottie said in your book, Moonwalker, which is an incredible book, by the way, I'll put it in the description. It's only about four hour. It's only about a four hour read. When she first started, I guess, turning towards God to the first thing that happened, she goes, all right, you know, that, that's a coincidence. And then the second one happens and you're like, all right, it's a little, you know, lightning can strike twice. A broken clock's right twice a day. But then a third, a fourth, a fifth. And you start kind of like looking at it twice, like what is going on? And that is right after I started doing that, I met an individual out of the blue who have the whole world. And I will let you talk. I know I'm rambling happened to be not that far from me, decided to invest in my podcast financially. It allowed me to quit my job and move out and start doing this full time. It has gotten me closer with family. I just recently moved up to New England to be closer with family. It has gotten me more connections with more random guests like you on the plane. And, you know, the guy's like, you know, my my proudest moment is working on the heat shield. And you're like, well, it worked great. More people have randomly called me and been like, you know, my cousin uh, watched your show and I'm like, who is this? And it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Dr. Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine. Like, you know, he said that you'd love to be on my show. Uh, you'd love to have me on your show. And I'm like, what in God's name? Again and again and again. I have been. I mean, truly, it's it's, you know, Thomas Kerrigan doubting Thomas. I think it's Terrence McKenna said of all individuals in the history of man. Only Doubting Thomas touched the corporeal risen Christ. And now I'm sitting here in an apartment I shouldn't be able to afford with a thousand guests under my belt, with a bigger audience than I should rightfully have, and the ability to have you on. I, I don't have any other explanation for it, but sincerely asking God to come into my heart. I tell that to everyone. I don't care what the response is to me. Having lived in the Deep South, I'm not trying to proselytize anyone. And I've told your story so many times. I have had friends who I know are devout atheists as recently as about a week ago, up until their 50s, call me and say, it's actually given me pause. 
to reconsider. And I've told them what you told me. We'll just call him Bob. I said, Bob, <laughs> ask God to come. And if it doesn't work, I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't work. I don't, as a science-minded individual, it is it is much as a fact as if I drop this water bottle, it's going to fall at 9.81 meters per second squared. Every day I've asked God to come into my heart. I don't care when people roll their eyes at it. My life has been irreversibly changed. It Everything has a silver lining. I I don't fear anything. Well, I do. You shouldn't drive fast. You should wear a seatbelt. But I don't fear anything. I am content with who I am. And I never have any hesitation to do the right thing. I will stop monologuing now because people are here to listen to you. But I just wanted to say that to you. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you to you and Dottie. It truly has changed my life. And although I hope to live into my old age, I am 32. And if I die tomorrow, I'm happy. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your testimony, uh, Tommy. I'll tell you, it does work. And uh, I have no peace, as you know, in uh, my life. I'd reached the pinnacle of my career. I was 36 when I landed on the moon and the youngest guy by four months. It's no big deal, but it was uh, uh, NASA kept advertising that fact. And uh, anyway, uh, I saw the change in Dottie, my wife's life, when she came to Jesus and had that moment of realization that God was real. And uh, I watched her changed uh, over too much period. And I was at the same meeting, as you know, I was at the same meeting she went to. Uh, and uh, but I was thinking about uh, my new business, I was starting leaving NASA, going into the Air Force Reserve, all of the, the, the active thing in my life. And I was pretty I just didn't have any peace, so I couldn't uh, find satisfaction. Is this all there is? What am I going to do next? And those that situation. And over oh, in, in October, I guess it was in uh, 75, 1975, our church had this Faith Alive meeting. And, uh, and these people came and shared their story of walking with God and how he had changed their life. And Dottie saw the peace and the joy and the love uh, that these people ex- expressed. And they they came all the way from all over Texas to share that story with us. And, uh, and so uh, it really impacted her. And after that, she, as most of us did, she said, God, I, I don't know whether you're real or not, but if you're not real, I want to die. But if you are real, come into my life. And uh, she changed. Uh, like uh, like you said earlier, it was uh, one thing after another as she was seeking God. And he, he revealed himself. Jesus revealed himself. And uh, so two and a half years later, uh, I was successful in business. I thought money was going to give me the peace. And the money didn't give me peace. It was just I enjoyed the success, but there was something missing with the success. And, uh, uh, about the first of the year, 1978, uh, uh, Dottie saw the frustration I had in my business. I was in the, I was a Coors beer distributor. That's one of th- three astronauts that have 
have those uh, those distributorships. Sue Russo was in Gulfport, Mississippi, and Alan Shepard had one in uh, Baytown, Texas. And uh, so I was part of San Antonio. Anyway, uh, Dottie came to me and uh, saw the frustration that was in me and said, well, why don't you pray and seek and ask God whether he wants you in a beer business or not? Well, my prayers were the prayer book prayers. Mm -hmm. And I thumbed through our prayer book and I didn't see any prayer. It says, God, do you want Charlie in a beer business? (laughs) (laughs) So I I asked Dottie to pray and her prayer was uh, one or two sentences. It said, God, if you want Charlie in the beer business, give him peace. If you don't want him in the beer business, make it so miserable that he sells out. And uh, so over the next six months, uh, it got my attitude towards the beer business got worse and worse and worse. But my the money got better and better and better. So now I had a decision, do I chase the money or chase the peace? And, uh, and so after at that point, I made a decision, okay, Lord, I'm going to sell out. And, uh, and I had a piece about that decision that was God's feeling that was God directed me out of the beer business. So I sold out at the sale was final and finalized in about March of 78. And uh, next month, a really good friend of ours from our church uh, was uh, invited me to a Bible study as couples, both of us, to a Bible study out at the T-Bar-M conference center. And they had conferences out there. So all weekend we studied the Bible, uh, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And it was walk through the Bible. And I've shared this story with you before, but at that, at that, I didn't want to go at first, you know, whole weekend studying the Bible. I thought it'd be boring, but it was fascinating. God used that Bible study called walk through the Bible to uh, focus me in on the presence of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus makes some strong claims. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through me. Now that hit me and it was, is that true or is that a lie? And uh, tell me, everybody got to make a decision. We have free will and we can choose to accept it and experience the peace of God or we can choose to reject, re- reject it and go our own way. And there were many other scriptures throughout uh, that, throughout that weekend that uh, just convicted me that I need to make a decision. I'm playing church. I'm playing uh, at uh, being a good guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing at uh, pretending peace, but didn't have it really. Our marriage uh, was... Uh, uh, better because Dottie had changed. Uh, and I thought it was remarkable. She changed She started really loving me and I hadn't changed at all. And I said, how's she, how's she doing that? And, uh, but I didn't complain. 
so that weekend after it was over, we were sitting in the car ready to drive home. And I, at that point, I made a decision. I said, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, the savior of the world. And I invite you into my life. Come in. And at that moment, I experienced the peace of God. I've experienced that peace a lot more since. But at that moment, it was the first time in my life when, when God revealed his, that he is the character of the Holy Spirit is what God wants us to be in. And it's love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, if, if we model Jesus in, that, in all of those ways, uh, we come closer to him. And so uh, uh, I uh, experienced his peace. I had this insatiable desire to read the Bible. I made a lot of money when we sold out. And so I didn't have an eight to five job at that time. So I just began to read the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, the more I was convicted. It's manufacturer's handbook. And if uh, I tell a lot of people, I said, you know, I've flown, I don't know how many different models of airplanes, Air Force and private. And every one of them have a manual. Mm -hmm. it, it behooves you to read the manual before you fly the airplane. Because okay. you can really get in trouble if you're trying to fly an airplane that you're not uh, uh, you're, you're not familiar with. Let me put it that way. I uh, saw uh, was Top Gun the other day. I guess it was that what we saw. That's Top Gun, the yeah, one. the second one. Okay, and uh, they <clears throat> they get shot down, and they they're in in Russia, and they run in towards this airplane and and they've never been in it before and it's in russian but they get it started and take off and uh, that's the first time i've ever seen anybody successfully do that uh without knowing the airplane uh anyway uh i see the bible now as god's manufacturer's handbook it's his word in our church uh, uh christ our king anglican church we have three scriptures uh that are read every day. I mean, every Sunday, uh, a, uh, uh, usually an old Testament, a gospel and a, uh, a, a new Testament verse. And after every reading, it says the word of the Lord. And then the people say, uh, what do we say? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Yeah. And so we, we acknowledge it's the word of the Lord. Well, did, did God, if that's the word of the Lord, did he lie to us or did he speak the truth? So uh, I began to read and God began to convict me of my sin. You know, I didn't really feel like a sinner. I never robbed anybody. I'd never uh, raped anybody. I'd never murdered anybody. You know, those are the big sinners. Uh, but uh, God began to convict me about the way I treated my wife. He, he tells us how to do that in Ephesians. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it hit me, that's 100%. Now, I said, Lord, I don't love my wife that way. And God spoke to my heart, not to my ears, but to my heart. He says, you're right, you don't love your wife that way. But you should. And start at it. And uh, 
the closer you get to your wife, the closer you'll get to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, we begin, I went and confessed and God, uh, uh, Dottie forgave me and uh, we started praying together and listening to one another. And the, the, the peace came into our life and our marriage and it really uh, God saved our marriage. And there were many other things, uh, uh, giving to uh, being generous. Uh, and I've discovered uh, in the last, uh, since 1978, uh, God can, you cannot outgive God. So he wants us to be, what he calls his perfect collision is taking care of the widows and the children and keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. And uh, so uh, as, as God blessed us, we blessed others as we gave. And uh, so that brought us peace. Uh, and um, I'll tell you, I found we, you can't outgive God. Uh, he, he, he gives till your cup runs over. Uh, Truly. And, and uh, so uh, <clears throat> then, uh, well, there's, several others, my children, how I was treating my children. God gives you direct instructions about uh, being a dad. And so as I began to get my life in line with his word, the scriptures, uh, a deeper revelation of his goodness and mercy came uh, into me. And uh, it was, we were bursting open, bursting open and, uh, Another church in our diocese uh, in uh, Kerrville was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a town of Kerrville, about an hour and a half from here, asked me to come speak. And uh, I was really nervous. I'd never shared my story. Uh, prior to that, I'd shared my story about Apollo a lot. And uh, But I um, <clears throat> then I um, started speaking about... Uh, my walk with Jesus. And I don't mean to say this frivolously, but the walk on the moon lasted three days and the walk with Jesus lasts forever, uh, even after this life. And so it was just, a. Uh, I was able to, uh, to reinforce my understanding and my belief by sharing it with others. Uh, God wants us to, in, uh, in the book of Acts, he says, uh, to his disciples, and we are his disciples, he said, if uh, you're to go out into all the world and share the truth, basically, from starting in Jerusalem and into the ends of the world. Well, we're not to the ends of the world, but we're in the USA. But God has taken us all over the world over the last 40 years uh, to share our faith. Uh, every continent, except for Antarctica, and uh, not too many people down there, but I sure like to go to Antarctica. It's one of our bucket list things. <laughs> but we've been to India and, uh, well, uh, Far East. Uh, we've been to uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, uh, South Africa, uh, not South Africa, but in Africa and South America. South Africa was one of our uh, uh, joyful experiences. And in Central America, we've been to Austria and, and uh, yeah, and Australia and New Zealand. 
So just about, uh, and we have this ministry called Duke Ministry for Christ. And when we go out to speak, we don't ask for anything monetarily from uh, the host. Uh, we just say, God just told us, don't ask for anything. So it's up to you. You decide what you can afford and what you want to give. If they can't afford, we pay like in India, the people we go speak for, they don't basically have any money. So we pay for our way over there and uh, they put us up in a hotel. And anyway, uh, it uh, this ministry is it affords us a way to people who have can't afford to give, we put into that. And then if, when we go to places like India or Africa, they don't have any money. We just go in. If God says go, we go. And uh, we use the money in our ministry uh, to, to pay our expenses. And then what's left over, we uh, help uh, uh, help other ministries. Uh, we have some good friends that are ministries in the Middle East. And a tough way, tough place to minister to to the sure. refugees and stuff. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, it's given us a avenue. Uh, I think uh, I look back. I, uh, I was saying, God, you're so wonderful to uh, uh, to give us these opportunities, and uh, <clears throat> God spoke again to my heart, said, I have guided your every step. Your walk on the moon was not an accident. Yeah. Your walk on the moon gives me, uh, gives an opportunity to you to go speak to people you could never have spoken to if you hadn't walked on the moon. So walking on the moon opens a lot of doors. I haven't met a head of state yet that didn't want to meet somebody that walked on the money. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and they're shocked that when we go and I'm not going to name any names, but when we go, so look, we, we appreciate your, your time. Uh, I know you're busy and, uh, we just want to say that we, in our appreciation, we're not looking for anything. I'm not looking for a business deal. I'm not trying to change your politics. I just want to tell you that I love you and God loves you, and we want to pray for you. Most of them are shocked, yeah. you know, at, at, that, and, at that confession that we make. And uh, so uh, it's been a tremendous uh, opportunity for us uh, to walk on the moon. And, and I think uh, that experience, uh, I look back now, and it's, uh, I think, more real now since I've been a believer uh, seeing the beauty of God's creation, uh, the wonder. There was a video that uh, was done years ago called The Wonder of It All. And uh, that's uh, that's basically my, uh, my experience. Uh, the beauty of the earth from the moon and the blackness of space and uh, the brightness of the lunar surface. Uh, you can't capture that in pictures. So it's an emotion that you have that, uh, man, I'm on the moon and look around. And uh, it's, as Buzz Aldrin says, magnificent desolation. Yeah. And that's true. But so exciting and so wonder. What wonder. Several astronauts uh, quoted scripture 
I don't know whether you remember or not, but Buzz Aldrin, he was an elder in the, uh, that time, an elder in the uh, uh, Presbyterian church. And uh, he had communion on, on the Lord's Supper on the moon. He'd taken some and, uh, and, uh, and quietly uh, took communion. Now, he didn't broadcast it, as I recall, but uh, it later came out, and then uh, uh, he's put it in a, uh, one of his books. And uh, then Jim Irwin quoted, on Apollo 15, quoted scripture, one of the Psalms. And I think one of the, outside of Neil Armstrong's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind, Apollo 8 had the most moving words. They had a Christmas Eve, 1968, and they had a television uh, uh, program. They turned on their onboard television, locked into Earth, and the Earth, the moon came up behind the, behind the, from behind the, uh, uh, not the moon, the Earth came up from behind the moon and, uh, <clears throat> They started reading from Genesis one. They read the first three, uh, first eleven verses about the creation of the earth, and uh, each one read. They split it up, and they all read. And uh, it was Frank Borman, uh, Jim Lovell, and our neighbor uh, Bill Anders, and uh, and you know I think looking back on it. Uh, Apollo, they're the only crew that are still alive, the whole, all three of them, and they were all married to one woman mm -hmm. forever. And, uh, and I don't know, Jim is 92 or 93, and he and Marilyn have been, I think they got married right after he graduated from Naval Academy. And, uh, Bill Anders and and, uh, and uh, Valerie, his wife, and uh, and then Frank Borman and uh, his wife. She died recently, but uh, uh, but he's was their caregiver forever, and they had a deep relationship and a deep love. His book is Far Side of the Moon. If you hadn't read it, it's, it came out last summer, I think. So anyway, uh, and, and then. You know those kind of things touch people and touch me at the time, but it took me another uh, ten years to find the way, the truth, and the life which Jesus is. It's I can't. It makes me think of you know it's kind of, it's like the common meme, like when you just see an absolutely like last week there was a beautiful moon and. I'm 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 on a higher floor of an apartment and I can see it over the skyline and and I saw the moon and it, it looked so beautiful and I've done this a million times in my life even when I was younger and I was into photography and you're like that's just you can just see it you can reach out and touch it and you take out your phone and you take a picture of it and you look at it the next day and you're like what is this junk like you can't you can't capture and I had never thought about that amplify that by a trillion and that's got to be what it's like walking on the moon and then trying to use these simple tools of human language to describe it or even a video. And it, 
So that's one thing I want to touch on. And about your world leaders, that is another funny thing I kind of talk about is another kind of story I'll tell about you is whenever I email you, you've got a cooler life than anyone I know. And you're like, hey, Tommy, I'm I'm in Abu Dhabi right now. Like, I'll be back next week or I'm in Dubai or I'm in Armenia. And I'm like, this guy is living the life of a rock star. You're like, hey, Tommy, I'm I'm going to talk to, I don't know, like Bibi Netanyahu. And I'm sitting here like, what am I doing with my life? Um, but <clears throat> to go back to what you said about the the manual, you talk about the amount of time you spend in the simulator, right? So that when you finally do get into the real thing, I think your line was, you feel right at home. It's all the same. You know, this yeah. is this is episode a thousand. It's with Charlie Duke. You know, you can get your heart pounding, but at the same time. It's just a podcast. I'm, I'm in my chair, microphone, same flag, same routine, wake up, go to the gym, shower, meditate, pray. It's also very, I'm at home, relax, go forward. Or when you were doing the the jungle survival and you're sitting there blowing on a fire trying to get it going for hours and the guy finally pulls out the fire starter and just looks at you like, a, like you're an idiot. Yeah. You can almost draw the analogies to prayer where it's like we're these we're these weird kind of monkeys just going through the world we're bumping into things we're banging on things we're blowing on the fire trying to get it to start when the smart thing to do is do a thousand hours in the simulator so you're right at home learn what's the quote about reading i don't remember who it's by but you know read so that you may learn the wisdom easily that other men came by through great tribulation I think that's directly applicable. You don't go to the moon without without spending the time in the simulator or in that bobbing capsule for 48 hours where you got sick as heck. The same thing applies to life. You can go through it for so long before someone finally pulls out the fire starter and goes, you're you're blowing on it till you turn blue. Like stop being an idiot. Work work smarter not harder. I think I circumvented through your help probably another 50 years of chasing things. I probably would have pursued this until I made money. I would have been empty. I would have pursued something else. I would have been empty. And finally, if I was lucky, I would have come to the realization that there is something greater than this life. And much like the guy pulling out the fire starter, I think you gave me a shortcut. When we first spoke, I was 30. I'm 32 now. You gave me a 50-year shortcut. You kind of gave me the cheat sheet. You just said, ask God to come into your heart. I feel like I have skipped. I kind of feel like I cheated. I feel like I skipped. And it's, this is one thing I did want to ask you about. <clears throat> no one can outgive God. Do you ever, because I know I do. It makes me think of Dottie talking in the book about, you know, you have forgiven Charlie. And for anyone that doesn't know, go, go read the book. It's a short book. You can knock it out. It's great. You have forgiven Charlie. You can't get mad about that. That's in the past. What about this? Forgive it. It's in the, I am telling you to do this. I have my ideas of what a husband should be. And God's kind of saying, shut up. I've, you've asked me what to do and I'm telling you what to do. You know, don't, don't get mad at me because I told you the answer. And I think she says, in my mind, I had been loving Charlie conditionally. I loved him 75% so that I may receive 25% or 90, 10, whatever number you want. 
And the idea is, no, you love unconditionally the way I love you unconditionally. It's, again, if you can't take the extra two seconds to recycle, take the bottle out of the trash, how can you, you know, look at a, a, a garbage patch in the ocean and say, how come no one's cleaning that? If you can't do your own part in your kitchen, how can you possibly get mad at anyone? I feel like I have been loved or I am loving conditionally. I asked God to come into my heart and my life has been un indescribably better since then. And I almost feel guilty because I feel like it's been conditional on my part. I simply said, hey, God would come into my heart. I tried it. And I've gotten everything I've wanted and more. I do almost feel guilty. Like, shouldn't I love and pray regardless of the direction of my life? And so that's something I want to ask you. Or is that is that the abundance of God's love? You shouldn't feel guilty. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if I'm articulating this correctly. Well, I think uh, you're on the right road. And uh, God doesn't want you to feel guilty. Uh, he paid the price uh, for our salvation. And we become children of God. And uh, when we accept Jesus into our lives and the, the objective of becoming a, a Christian is a, is a deeper walk with God. He wants you to learn how to walk a hundred percent with God. And I think that's a, a learning process uh, through our lives. Uh, <clears throat> he brings circumstances, situations into our lives. So we learn lessons uh, and uh, well, you sort of stumbled on that one, but uh, get up, he gets you up, pat you, pat you on the back and let's go again. And he's always got an encouragement for us. Uh, when we repent, we see the forgiveness of God. And uh, when uh, God through Ephesians said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, it hit me. You know, that's a hundred percent. I don't love this beautiful woman, a hundred percent, but I wanted to. So I asked for forgiveness from her and Jesus. And he's a top forgiver. Uh, he doesn't hold anything. When we repent, he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all the righteousness. And so that under, as, as Dottie and I began to learn forgiveness, to forgive her or she forgave me we learned from the scripture don't let the sun go down on your anger solve the problem before you go to bed and we had many times uh in bed asking for forgiveness and forgive me for what i said this afternoon or whatever and that hurt her or she said something and so the biggest lesson I think we've learned in our relationship is forgive one another. And God forgave us, unconditionally forgave us when we said, Jesus, forgive me. And he does, 100%. And that's what we're trying to do, you know, in, uh, in our relationship. It's not perfect, but it's going closer and closer to Jesus. And... Uh, so uh, 
we all mess up and we all sin. Uh, some people, big sins, some people, little sins. Now, sin is sin. So it's not any big sins or little sin in God's eyes. Sin is sin. And so we forgive. And uh, when a friend or a acquaintance or, or a family relative says something, does something that offends us or hurts us, then in love, we should forgive them. And that clears the clears the air, if you will, between uh, in a, in relationships. Now, some people don't don't receive forgiveness. They're angry. They don't. They said it on purpose. They don't want to uh, want to see the light, if you will. But we forgive them anyway. And if they receive, then that changes their hearts and changes our relationship. But they can turn their back on you, turn their back on God, and walk away. And there's nothing we can do about that except continue. Our job is to love them and to forgive them. And Jesus does the same. I mean, how many non-Christians are in the world? You know, billions. But he loves everyone. He died for everyone. And so he's always looking for that opportunity to, to accept them into the kingdom, to forgive them and say, I love you from the beginning and I love you now. Thank you for uh, a one lost sheep, as Jesus says in a parable. He found a lost sheep and he said, the angels in heaven rejoice over that one mm -hmm. who was saved from the enemy than others that don't that already in the kingdom, you know, they rejoiced over those that are there, but the, as everyone comes in, the, the, the angels rejoice at that. So uh, it's, uh, it's a miracle really when I think about God's love and how he created uh, the earth and the stars and the universe and the uh, heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands, says the 19th Psalm. And I can, on firsthand proof, can tell you the heavens, I look up at the heavens, especially at night when the sun goes down in your orbiting the moon and it, the earth sets, the sun sets and the earth sets, and then bang, all the stars are there. Yeah. And it's just glorious. Every the clarity and the heavens do declare the glory of God. And uh and so that uh I just look at a lot of scriptures and uh that uh I didn't understand, you know, and uh about the heavens declare the glory of God. But now I see it and they it strengthens me, the orderliness of the universe. You know, right now, uh, Artemis is probably beyond the moon and they're a huge orbit. And mm -hmm. that uh, we call it the gateway orbit, stable orbit, a couple of hundred thousand miles behind the moon or wherever it goes and it comes back again. And uh, 
I don't understand why they do that, except they, it's a stable orbit. And it's uh, for people that go leave something up there in that orbit, you know, it's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And you go up and join up and start preparing for landings and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, in all of our science training, as far as geology goes, was all evolutionary you know, billions of years and uh, let's go get some of those rocks to see what, see what's there. So we collected a lot of rocks and uh, the geologists had said, you're going to find two types of volcanic rock up there. But we started describing these rocks that we were picking up and they weren't volcanic. And, uh, and at first I, I think that geologists that were sitting in the back room watching us and directing us, said, well, we've wasted six years of geology on these guys. They don't know what you're picking <laughs> up. But then they got it. You know, we kept describing these rocks. And, man, it was something new. It was never, these other rocks hadn't been picked up like this, had not been picked up. So they got very excited about that. And uh, and the, the geology training paid off. But uh, it one rock I remember we picked up was about the, it was fit in my hand. And when we, they got back, they dated the rock and that on one end of the rock, it was 3.9 billion years old. On the other end of the rock, it was 1.9 billion years, 2 billion years difference in a, a rock on the size of your hand. So which do you pick? Yeah. Well, they picked the one that agreed with their theory yeah. of 3.9 billion years old. So, uh, I was uh, reading uh, Genesis, and Genesis uh, doesn't describe the creation that way. It's uh, evolving over 4 billion, 15 billion, or 13 billion, whatever. It just says, God created the heavens and earth. And you read it, it says six days. Now, is that true? And uh, I... uh, I decided it was true that he did it in six days. That's what he said he did. He's why should he lie? And so I went from billions to thousands of years. And, uh, and I just made the decision. I believe it, Lord, I can't prove it scientifically that you created it in six days, but they can't prove that it evolved in 3 billion years or 15 billion years or whatever it was. There is no scientific way to prove any of that. So you accept it on faith. So God spoke to my heart back then. Uh, this is a couple of years after I've been reading the Bible. He said, which one are you going to believe? He told me, I can't say I heard the voice of God in my, in my ears, but I felt it in my heart. He speaks to our spirits. And he says, which are you going to believe? What I say or what they say? They are always changing. He has never changed. And so, Lord, I, I can't prove it, but I believe you. Now, I get a lot of questions from uh, people said, how do you reconcile science and the Bible? Well, God is the author of science. I mean, he created gravity you know he created the 
microwaves and the stars and all of this stuff and flowers and plants and we all see. And, uh, and so it, uh, when he says he did it in six days, I can't prove it scientifically. So I, I can't write an equation, can't design an experiment to see something blossom, the whole creation blossom in a couple of days. You can't prove it. But I accept it because when I do, I, I realize I'm walking with God. I'm believing what he says. He's accepting me. And so I turn that question around, science and religion, that that's not the the debate, the debate is creation and evolution. That's where the debate is. And, uh, and both of them depend on science, if you will, but you can't prove them. And, uh, but I see now the more, uh, the more science we are learning about the DNA and all of the intricate systems in all of our bodies uh, and other stuff. Uh, many people are now beginning to say, uh, scientists beginning to say, well, maybe there is a creator. They haven't gotten to God yet, but uh, maybe there is a designer. And Eric Metaxas has written a book that I'm reading now called Is Atheism Dead? Good question, because when we see the orderliness of the universe and the the design of the human body, you know, it's all had to work from the beginning. I mean, I, there was a this is sort of a jokey title, but years ago I read this book called From Goo to You by Way of the Zoo. And uh, and it was. Uh, <laughs> a refutation uh, of, of, of evolution, if you will. Now you can see this, this orderliness in the human body and it all had to be there at the beginning or it would never work. You know, this end's got to connect to the other end. The heart's got to be beating. The lungs have got to be, inhaling and exhaling and you know or, or it's not going to work so how did it decide hey i think i need some feet i think i'll evolve some feet or i need an arm and a hands so i need a brain i need you know how where did that knowledge come from did we just think of it say hey i need a brain you know some good questions and so uh i just realized that uh no way uh you know i respect my science friends who don't believe sure. but uh, all of my geologist friends a lot of them are dead now but uh they taught me so much and they taught what they taught me was to to uh, be observant look and see and it, and learn how to describe what you're seeing because that's what we're interested in. How are the rocks in there? What are the rocks? What, how did this crater get over here? You know, all of those things. And so it's been a, uh, 
a real eye opener, you realize, and I see such orderliness in the universe. Uh, roses are roses. There might be different variety of roses, but roses are roses. And they, they begat roses. And uh, human beings beget, beget human beings. Dogs beget dogs. They have different colors of human beings, but all, we're all human beings. And variety of dogs, but they're still dogs. And so, anyway, uh, there's such a, a beauty and uh, and orderliness in the universe that I uh, I'm overwhelmed, really, at God's goodness. <clears throat> I think it would it might have been Carl Sagan, might have been another one. I don't remember who, but uh, I think it's a self-proclaimed atheist making fun of himself and he goes what the big bang really is the idea that there was nothing and then it exploded and there was something he goes that's atheists going we just want one miracle just give us this one whereas some people say it's god they go we need one miracle we can't write it down we can't explain it there was nothing and then there was something and then they go on to explain it all scientifically because that's just them we just want one we just want one we want one freebie and uh it kind of makes me think of that um yeah. well in the in the final couple minutes that i have you i did want to ask it was wild in your book talking about the dream you had of finding tracks on the moon and you know finding a lunar rover and then yeah, that would be a great short film and then finding three astronauts with their sun shields down and then you flip it up and you see yourself and your crewmates and you didn't tell Dottie because you didn't want it to be a premonition of your own death. And you said even when you were up there, you were looking you were looking for tracks that made the hair on my neck stand up. And that's where I wanted to ask is when you're up there, does anything. Does anything seem like. Does it feel like there's alien life? Does it? I mean, as someone that went to the Naval Academy and now you have the Navy coming out and talking about UFOs and UAPs. And again, it's not really anything I can. I, I have a biology degree. I can't prove it. But that's and I've never asked you that because I didn't want it to come across as, you know, you know, what's the most canned answer question you can ask a guy that's walked on the moon? Hey, are there aliens up there? I've never asked that out of respect for you. But reading your book you talking about that and i think you have one line in there where you go i am fascinated by aliens and ufos i figure there's no better time to ask you what do you think do you feel that they're real ufos aliens is there any is there anything up there does it feel like there's something else up there or is that is that me wanting to believe well, and uh, I was, uh, <clears throat> this is 20, 30 years ago, I was beginning to get questions like that at Rotary Clubs and things sure. like that. And uh, so uh, I had this impression from reading the Bible that they're, uh, that they're supernatural beings, angels, demons, Sure. Uh, the Bible talks about them and no, they're in this 
other world right now. You can't see them unless they choose to appear to you. But in scripture, angels appear to a lot. And, uh, and so they, they were mighty warriors, most of them that appeared, but some of them just, just appeared and looked like ordinary human beings, Yeah. but they were angels. And, uh, and then Jesus uh, commanded the spirits, evil spirits to come out of people. Now they were real beings, but invisible, but sometimes they appear. And it says the, in the scriptures, it says that the angels, I mean, Satan himself, the chief killer, if you will, can appear as an angel of light. He can appear to you and he looks like a, a, a normal human being and he, and he can appear, he just presents himself. So uh, I think that uh, these, these stories of aliens, they're really uh, evil spirits that are appearing that are appearing as real because they are real but they appear in such a way that we can see them mm. okay and and we've seen ufos and we've seen those are real i think but there are not alien beings like we are i mean they're not from some advanced civilization out there they were created in the very beginning they rebelled against god and, and now they're fighting against god and, and so, uh, I, I was telling everybody I said that, uh, I think that, uh, UFOs are alien beings and, uh, but not, uh, from a different civilization, you know, it's part of God's creation. And so I was getting laughed at. And, and so I said, Lord, I believe that's what you teach that uh, there are spirits of evil, demonic beings. And if, if that's real and that's what we're seeing calling UFOs, uh, then have Newman Payton start speaking tomorrow morning about UFOs. And we've been on a lot of mission trips and he was a, sharp guy and uh we never he was a businessman so we never talked science stuff and so the next morning at breakfast uh we were down in the caribbean somewhere and at breakfast i walked in and he said charlie come on over here i want to talk about ufos so god answered my prayer ufos are demonic beings and they're real and the objective of them is to take your eyes off of God and put them on these mm. supernatural beings. And uh, so uh, I've never seen one. I've never seen a supernatural being. I've seen the effect of a supernatural beings in the life of people. Uh, and, um, and so uh, I have... Uh, uh, Dottie and I have uh, prayed for people and seen and seen the effect of a super of this demon in their lives, and uh, we've seen the release as the demon left. We never saw the demon, but we saw it leave, and they changed. I mean, from it was amazing.
So uh, I stick with that, that uh, uh, God allows us to see these supernatural beings and their objective is to take us off of God and look at them. Mm. These, uh, uh, these powerful people, powerful UFOs and all of that stuff. But when you see a performance of a UFO going tracked at 3,000 miles an hour and he makes a 90-degree turn and goes the other, other way at 3,000 miles, the human body cannot take the G-level that a 3,000-mile-an-hour instant turn. And uh, in most airplanes, that the, the wings would fall off. Yeah. But nothing happens because they do it. They're supernatural. And so they're real, but uh, evil beings is what I think. And so, and I believe God has answered my question and answered my prayer in that area. Uh, and um, so I stand on that. People, a lot of people still think I'm crazy, but uh, that's, that's what God has showed me. That's not an uncommon belief that that's what they are as someone that loves reading about UFOs <clears throat> across the spectrum, that's a, if not widely believed, at least considered theory. And, um, you know, Bob Lazar, the, the, the area 51 guy who allegedly helped reverse engineer craft. He never makes that statement, but the one thing he does consistently make and has said since 1989 was a very uneasy feeling when he was around now granted that's based on is he telling the truth or not we don't know but one thing that kind of gives me pause is if you look at alleged videos of ufos and they're brilliant and they're beautiful i always think of the angler fish which has the little light right out in front of it just like from the the pixar movie you know finding nemo and what do they say when they see the light Oh, it's so calming. I'm so relaxed. And then kind of like your dream you talk about in the book, out of the darkness comes this face of the most evil. Granted, it's an anglerfish and it's a child's film, but you describe in your book the dream of the, the evil face coming out of the, you see this thing with just monstrous or prehistoric teeth coming out of the darkness. And I'm always on the lookout for when something's too good to be true or so when people are like, oh, if you see a UFO, it's brilliant and it's beautiful and it's calming. I'm like, that, that sounds like, that sounds like someone, come here, come here. I'm giving, you know, you come here. I'm giving you the treat. I'm giving, dead. You know, you, you put the treats up into the bear trap. That's my, that's my two cents on it. I'm like, something's not right. Nothing's this, all good things in life take a lot of work when it's a beautiful brilliant light and it does yeah it seems like it's a magician it's the beautiful magician's assistant look over here look over here i'm a little hesitant i'm a little hesitant um but i've kept you seven minutes longer than i said i would and uh, i have no apologies because i love talking to you well um, uh, we could go on i guess but we should stop uh <clears throat> i just like to turn my uh, iPad over and let you see Dottie and please so do. She... Here I am. Dottie, it's very, it's very, it's very nice to meet you, Mr. Duke. You are right; she is beautiful, and uh, thank you I for. I really enjoyed your testimony, and 
there's no condemnation in Lord Jesus. When we repent of something, he takes it all away. If we're reminded of that again and again, that comes from Satan. Yes, ma'am. He's the one. So you don't ever have to say anymore that you feel guilty. Make that thought go away. That's coming from Satan. God does not want you to feel guilty. He yes, pursued you. He decided the time that he wanted to reveal himself to you. He used Charlie. If Charlie had not been willing, God would have found somebody else, someone else, because I think he wanted to reach you at that time. Yes, I don't think you got cut off. You mean you got it early. He wants to use you now. And so he picks the time. We pick whether we will yes, listen and accept. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. I mean, appreciate it. And uh, all the best. God bless you. Thank you, Mr. Charlie Duke, Miss Dottie Duke. The book Moonwalker, I'll put in the description, a beautiful, loving testimony. And I can say from the bottom of my heart, I love you both. Thank you so much for the effect you've had on my life. Episode. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. He, Hope to he meet loves you me too. That's, that's my life accomplishment. Charlie Duke loves me back. That Now I can die happy. Mr. Charlie Duke, episode 1000. I wouldn't have it any other way. And Miss Dottie Duke, thank you for your appearance. Both of you, thank you so much. I'll email you the episode when it's up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. God bless everybody. Thank you.